welcome to Beckett Talks, the podcast series from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we will be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. I'm Sarah Cardwell, and today I'm going to be finding out more about a good practice guide which will help people who are living with dementia. Leeds Beckett's Centre for Dementia Research has put together a best practice guide for memory assessment services, which can be one of the first points of contact for people with dementia and their carers. Professor Claire Sir from the Centre for Dementia Research in the School of Health has led the work on the guide and joins me now. Claire, thanks for taking part in this podcast. Can you tell me, first of all, what are memory assessment services? You're welcome. Um, pleased to be here. Um, memory assessment services are commissioned to carry out assessment and diagnosis for people who are experiencing cognitive problems. So that could be memory, as in memory assessment services, but people may have other problems as well. Um, So it could be that they find they're getting lost or they're putting things in strange places. They might have problems with communication. So anything that could be a symptom of dementia, people are referred on to a memory assessment service. So these can be located in different places depending on where you live in the country so sometimes they're based within um, the mental health trust sometimes within the acute hospital trust and sometimes they might be um, based within primary care or GP practices Um, and they can also be in different locations so people may um, go to a hospital to be seen they might go to um, a local primary care hub or a GP surgery to be seen by staff there, or somebody might come out to their home to do the assessments. Ananga and Joanna, Jill and Steve and Dave are all users of memory assessment services, whether as patients or carers. They've joined us to talk about their experiences. Over to you, Claire. We're really interested in your experiences of attending a memory assessment service. You've all had quite different experiences but also some similarities in those. So Ananga and Joanna can you tell us a bit about your experiences of attending memory assessment services? What did they offer you and what was that experience like for you? The tests were very good because uh, it it started with with, uh, asking about yourself and then reading uh, an address and then forgetting about it and then carrying on talking about different things and uh, and then come back to it and I couldn't remember and 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 that's that's when I realized that there there could be something wrong with me. I was actually present at each of his memory assessment clinics and was brought into it to ask Um, What was he like at home? Had I noticed any particular um, difficulties he was having with his memory? Um, And obviously I was able to say all of that. Then I went out of the room while he did the test. And then um, they actually discussed the test with both of us and invited me back into the room. And then we discussed the test um, and the score he got. And I was there for his second memory assessment, which was a year later. Um, Similar sort of thing. And when it came to the third year, I'm afraid I I made a big boo because although the invitation was addressed to both of us, I assumed it was the same 
thing again and I didn't attend. Only this time it was with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's and he couldn't remember what was said in that meeting. And they were very good and they actually invited me back again with my husband so they could go through it again. And they invited a third party um, Alzheimer's Society to sit with us too. And they then um, gave us the provision for aftercare. Because once we were diagnosed, we were then discharged straight away. Okay, thank you. I think that's really insightful into into the process and your experiences. Jill and Steve, do you want to tell us about your experiences of attending memory assessment services? Well, our first experience was a telephone call from the doctor after we after we'd rung up to this. But this was at the very beginning of the pandemic to say. Um, that we thought there was something wrong and his first assessment was done over the phone um, and it was a Sunday with the Sunday paper and everything there um, so it was quite it, the questions were very easy and the doctor said there's nothing wrong with it you are worrying too much which you know I knew I we hadn't got there for that reason so nine months later we went to the doctor again and they did the more intense or it was the nurse actually more intense memory thing where he was scored and that was when um, they said that there was a problem but we weren't given the diagnosis then at all we were just said we'd be referred and then there was another however many months before and lots of telephone calls from me to find out what was happening uh, and eventually we the psychiatrist actually came here to see us um, and then I stayed when we both in the room. She said, I want to ask you first and then your husband and vice versa. So we both explained where we were coming from or what we thought and time scales. And my time scales were slightly different to Steve, obviously. Um, and then she just said, right, I can categorically tell you it's vascular dementia. The so one thing I found a little bit strange was we were told he would have an MRI scan and he was only sent for a CAT scan and I asked her what the difference was and she said well one's you know colour and like audio sounds and the other's black and white but so I, I said well does that mean it's worse you, you know did, it was an explanation as to why she could so easily see what it was from that which I never really we never really got an answer to after that she said you'll hear from one of my nurses in a couple of weeks well that didn't happen either um so our experience hasn't really been very good, if I'm honest. I think yeah. one thing that would be very useful is that when you, however poor or good it's been in the build-up to things, that they say, okay, uh, we'll now see you again in six months or three months or a year. Because at the moment, you know, we're still floating around. You know, I'm, I'm not sure where I am. Uh, sometimes I'm really good, sometimes I'm not quite as good as I think I am. But um, if somebody had said, right, don't worry about it, uh, you, you'll be, we'll be visiting, you know, or you come to you in about uh, a, a month or three months or whatever, at least there's something there that's concrete and you know it's good to be there and you'll have, and that's very reassuring. Yeah, they're really important points, Steve. You know, I think it mirrors what quite a few of you said about just feeling left when you get yeah. that diagnosis and, and that sort of hang, hanging around, not knowing what's going on is, I think, describes it perfectly. Yeah. There's been no follow up whatsoever at all. I mean, the other thing I found 
slightly concerning was that they told her there was absolutely no um, cure or nothing they could do to help him. There was no pills, no, you know, we weren't nothing. offered nothing, absolutely nothing. It's just like you've got vascular dementia, get on with your life, which is mm. basically what happened, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So let's come on to Dave now, who's been sitting um, patiently. Now, Dave, you've got quite a different experience haven't you but similar in many ways tell us about your experiences yeah. of memory assessment services i'll be honest at first it was during the pandemic so it was never going to be easy for the nurse that came to the house where do i start i could start with well i was doing stupid things at work being in working in the security industry um I was leaving doors unlocked. Um, I was leaving site gates open, and that was noticed. So obviously, I went to the doctor, and I was having what they call absences, where I just sort of didn't know where I was. Um, anyway, to cut to the chase, GP referred me to the mental health team, as it is here. The nurse came from the mental health team and done a test similar to everybody else, like ask an address, ask me certain questions, and then ask me to draw a like, copy of little drawing that was in the, in the assessment. So she went away. That was all fine. In the back of my head, I knew I had some sort of dementia i'd seen it in my mother and i'd seen it in my wife's mother so i knew what was coming um i thought when i got the letter saying it was alzheimer's right i think i knew that let's get on with my life and that's what i endeavored to do for six months now my eldest girl is a nurse but she mainly works with the elderly. So she's seen it much more than I had. And uh, she was saying, well, Dave, you're coping too well with it. Next thing I know, there's a greenway behind where, where people walk their dogs. And apparently I was walking down there in my underpants half past 11 at night the police were called um an ambulance was then called was taken to hospital where i had the choice i could have either been sectioned or i could go involuntary so i went into a mental health hospital voluntary and that is where things changed for me because they done far far more tests than I than I had under the mental health team. I had upwards of what 20, 20 25, maybe thirty different tests. Most of them paper and memory, and I was scoring high rates in you know getting up to ninety seven, ninety eight percent. In one, I scored a hundred percent. But my spatial awareness, and I always remember this, I was given a set of building blocks. One was white and one was black, and you had to follow the 
the pattern on them. And for the life of me, I couldn't do it. That's when they come up with diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment, which I think is probably right. Why didn't they get that right in the first place? Yeah, you've had a, a quite a time of it, Dave, haven't you, over the last sort of six, 12 months or so, and yeah. um, it's been really kind of you to share your experiences with us in this group. It sounds like you've all had quite similar experiences in some ways, variable experiences in others. If you would like to make a difference to individuals and communities, from exploring the diagnosis or treatment of disease, to the provision of therapies for recovery and rehabilitation, to community-based social care, the School of Health is the place for you. You'll be part of a community that's committed to improving health outcomes locally and globally. We work closely with partners to improve practice, tackle health inequalities, and inspire the next generation of leaders in treatment and care. Many of our courses are professional body accredited, ensuring you receive an education and develop the practical skills and experience employers value. So, whether you're starting out on your journey or wishing to progress professionally, find out more at leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash health. We've been working on this project together to, um, to develop this good practice guide. Um, what do you think is the key thing that memory assessment services could do better based on your own experiences? What's, what would have made a real difference, do you think, to yourself? So let's go to Ananga and Joanna again to start with. I think um, having a follow-up service is key, both for the carer and the sufferer, because Dementia is, is, is really personal to the person and their carer. And not everybody follows the same path. So you're left not knowing, um, oh, at month six, is this what's going to happen? At month 12, is it? Because you don't know. Uh, for us, my husband um, was diagnosed with a false stroke. Overnight, he couldn't speak clearly. He was stuttering a lot. Um, his mobility, again, overnight, went downhill and he was falling over. And I kept saying to myself, oh, well, you know, it's part of his dementia. But it got so bad, he fell over face down in the dirt in the garden as he was gardening. And I couldn't get him up. It took quite a while for me to get him up. So I went to the doctor who immediately thought he'd had a stroke. And that's when they said, no, it's a false one. So I, and this is nine months after diagnosis. So I phoned the doctor who got the false team out. We got all his equipment, all, all, all lovely. But I said, I don't know whether this is part of damage. I don't know what's going on. And I needed help. And <laughs> the GP said, well, who are you under? <laughs> so I said, you, and you've done nothing. <laughs> You have not come out, you've not spoken to me, nothing, and I don't know what's going on. And I'm trying to care for my husband. Because I pushed, we went to see, uh, well, I didn't actually have a telephone conversation, which I've just explained, my husband couldn't speak clearly. How nonsensical is that? <laughs> so um, we had the geriatric consultant phone us up, and he couldn't speak, he just 
you know, he was stuttering so much because he gets nervous on the phone that he just handed the phone over to me. And I said, look, the top and bottom of it is, is this part of dementia? Is it going to get better? What is it? And he said, no, his false throat was part of dementia. And it, that it was the missing bit between his thought and his speech and his movement and his brain. Um, he did explain it really, really well. But that's it. That's all we've had. We've had nothing else. And that's only because I pushed for it. So, well, we're back where we started from. No help. But I have to say, it's people like yourselves and the Alzheimer's Society who have done all of the work I think the NHS should have done personally. Well, it's been lovely to have you as part of this group. You've made <laughs> such a valuable contribution. I'm so glad that you've, you're you getting a lot out of it as well. Oh, it yeah. sounds like that it's, it's that support after diagnosis that's missing definitely yes. from your experience, isn't it? What about Jill and Steve? What the lady said there was, was absolutely spot on. So I, I, I couldn't better that. Uh, I, I, I'd say the same. I just think there's, there's no follow-up. I, I don't even know whether we've been discharged. I just know we've never heard from another cell. Um, and as, as Dave said, you know, the societies and the, the, you know, the care in the community, if you like, have been invaluable. And I do think every single case is so totally different. I, I think part of the problem is that the doctors don't know the answers to the questions we want to ask. You know, I mean, Steve, Steve was, looked on the internet and seen something that said he was only going to live five years. That is absolutely rubbish. There's no such thing as a time scale on it. Um, and I think a lot of the questions going through my head are really not answered because I don't think anybody really knows. I think everybody, as we've said, is totally different. And our journey is very personal to each of us. And it would be lovely to have somebody um, who you could just ring and say, is this normal? Has this changed? Is this going to be a definite change? Um, you know, what's the next stage likely to be? If I see a change in Steve, um, because he's been told dement vascular dementia is like steps, but you don't know how big or how short or how long those steps are. And is there anything you can do to help the stages and what happens when there is the next stage? As in, you know, do I need to do something different? Does he need to do something different? So, you know, that we're, you just feel that you've sort of left completely alone with it, really. Which is why, again, just saying the other lady said it's great to be part of this because um, it really helps. Good. I'm glad to hear that. We've been working on the Good Practice Guide. Why do you think that that's such an important thing to be working on and, and what do you hope it will achieve in terms of improving memory assessment services. So we'll go back to Joanna and Ananga again. Anything I think that helps doctors to, to look at it, not from a medical perspective, but a holistically from a people's perspective is really, really brilliant. Anything you can do to help them see us as people, not statistics would be fabulous uh, and also to bring on board those who care whether it's a, a you know a spouse or a neighbor or anybody else because we are doing the majority 
of the looking after. Um, and if we don't get no help, how are we going to cope? Um, I've, I've had periods where, quite frankly, I could just sit and cry because yeah. I didn't know where to go, who to talk to, what to do. And if it weren't for outside organisations, um, well, I don't know where we'd be, quite frankly. And I think if we can put a good guide together to let them realise um, we're not statistics, we're real people trying to have a real life and dealing with something that we know is not easy to deal with, um, that would be wonderful. Thank and, you. And, uh, and another thing is is to free up the NHS because my wife is a, an unpaid carer. If if it if it wasn't for her, I'd be in hospital or a home where you know somebody else would have to look after, look after me. So, yeah. so I say that 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 she should be commended for what, they, what, what she does. Yeah. <laughs> I think you really expressed it really well there, Joanna and Ananga, about just how important it is that you are everybody's people and not statistics. And there's we know there's thousands of other people feeling the same way as, as you two do around being left with no support and, and feeling they don't know where, where to go with it. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we can do that with this guide. Jill and Steve, what about what do you hope we'll do with the guide? I just thought what Joanna said was absolutely spot on. Spot on. You know, she, she couldn't have put it better. Um, it's, it, you know, <clears throat> just perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your very personal experiences of using the memory assessment services. Claire, why do you think there's such a difference in the memory assessment services across the country? So memory assessment services are commissioned on a, a local basis. So um, the clinical commissioning group who are responsible for commissioning um, NHS services across a particular area. So for us, it would be across Leeds City region. Um, they're commissioned by the commissioners in different ways based on what they see to be the local needs. So um, depending on what the commissioners put forward is um, how memory assessment services might be run. And so different um, NHS organisations or primary care can bid to take on the contract for the memory assessment services. Um, and so services can provide things just from um, memory assessment and diagnosis, and then they might discharge onto another service um, for post-diagnostic support, or some services are commissioned to deliver some post-diagnostic support or support right through to, to end of life care. So where you live in the country very much determines what memory assessment services will look like. So you've been looking at this good practice guide, how does that work? We were commissioned by NHS England and NHS Improvement to look at what was going on in memory assessment services and in particular to identify good and innovative practice. So the good practice guide um, we developed with our expert advisory group which are made up of about 30 people who work across memory assessment services or charities or the clinical networks or other organisations linked to or who might support people using memory assessment services. And with our group of lay advisors who were all people who've accessed or are supporting someone who's accessed a memory assessment service. 
Um, and what we worked through was what would a good or an innovative memory assessment service look like? Um, and so it looks at all the different areas of, of memory assessment services from the sort of values and ethos of the service, then thinking about the pathway that you have through from referral and first contact, the assessment process, and the tests that happen, delivery of a diagnosis, and then support and ongoing support, as well as things like staff development and, and linking in with other services. So we, we used um, a process of groups where we, we met um, and had quite a number of group meetings where we went through and looked at each area, what might good practice look like, what might innovative practice look like, and this had to be things that were feasible, even if they might be kind of not what anybody was yet doing, but things that services thought um, or experts thought, actually, we'd like to be doing that, or we think it's feasible that we should be offering that, but we're not sure anybody's doing it yet. And they're very kind of general statements around what people can expect from a service. Um, so it's not telling people exactly how to do it, but it's saying, you know, things like um, people should expect certain things or staff should be able to deliver certain things um, within the guide. So the idea is that memory assessment services and people who are working in them can pick up the guide and use it in a very flexible way. So it's not you should be doing everything in all of this. Um, it's if you want to improve your referral process, what are some of the things you could think about? If you wanted to think about improving how a diagnosis is delivered, what are some of the things you could think about? So it's a kind of designed to be a, a pick up and put down guide um, to be used flexibly um, within services to think how they could improve a particular aspect of their care. And what do you hope the outcome will be of the good practice guide for the people who actually use the services? Uh, what we hope the outcome will be is that services will start to um, think about the different areas of delivery and particularly the ones where often staff know that things aren't working quite right and they'd like to do things better. Most services are getting regular feedback from people who use the service and the staff also know as well if, if things don't feel quite right, people aren't happy or they don't feel they're delivering as good a service as they could. So what we hope is that services will be able to pick up the guide um, and work with people who use their service to see how they could deliver services in line with our good practice areas um, and from there make changes to their practice, um, hopefully to in improve things for the people who use the services. But we see this as a kind of working collaboratively. It wouldn't be something that just say, oh, we just need to do this or we just need to do that. It's about let's have this full area, think about how we do it and how it would work for our service with the people who, who use it. Well, thank you for joining me today, Claire, to tell me all about the Good Practice Guide and particularly to Ananga, Joanna, Jill, Steve and Dave for sharing their honest and emotional experiences. You're welcome. Thanks, Sarah. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday. So don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week.